Good evening, Sangha. Can you hear me? That's better, right? Okay. So some of you who are facing the beautiful statues in the middle are kind of having to, yeah, jerk. If you want to, you know, just switch your chairs or mats towards the front, that might be more comfortable for you. Please feel free to do that if you want to do that. So, our second full day. I'm sure all of us have very interesting stuff arising in our practice. And it's so amazing, this practice, you know, pretty much knows everything that's going to arise. It's amazing just the kind of wisdom that is taught in the practice. So we all know that, or many of us know, probably most of us know, or have heard, that there are four foundations of mindfulness. There are four things that, when we have enough um, stability of mind and are watching with some objectivity, we're watching this heart and mind and what's happening with it. Um, pretty much all of that could be contained within the four foundations of mindfulness. Um, we know that the first foundation, of course, is things that are happening in the body. Uh, the second foundation of mindfulness is so important. It is knowing um, or what's arising for us is we're experiencing pleasant sensation or unpleasant sensation or neutral sensation. That's really huge. That's actually, I think, the third spoke independent arising. Isn't it the third spoke? Yeah, yeah. It's so important. And then the third foundation is... Uh, mindfulness of mind or just what's happening, you know, whether our minds are um, contracted with greed, hatred, and delusion, or whether they're expanded and relaxed. That's one easy way to think about it. And then the fourth foundation is what I'm going to be talking about tonight is... uh, There's two things, you know, that the scholars say for sure are in there. In many iterations, there's a lot more things, but I think these are the two most important things. One is the five hindrances, and that's what I'm going to be talking about. And these are um, things that arise for everyone, not just us, for everyone, that can prevent us from progressing in our meditation that kind of stop us and, you know, we believe all these crazy thoughts that we have and uh, we follow them. And then the other thing in the fourth foundation of mindfulness is really a wonderful, beautiful thing, and that is the seven factors of awakening. And that is like, you know, that's 
what happens and arises right before the pathway to very major insight. And I'm not going to be talking about that, but that is definitely something too. Um, I actually look for the seven factors when I'm meditating. But maybe I'll talk about that a little bit at the end. <laughs> but the five um, hindrances are um, just, you know, they are mental factors. And according, according to uh, Buddhist psychology, there's only 52 mental factors that could be arising in our mind. And these are five of them and that they are predominantly unwholesome. So it's really great and important when we can see them with some objectivity and investigate them. You know, they are another um, mental factor for our investigation and for our mindfulness. And they are, there's two that are opposites of each other and then one additional one. And they are greed or desire. And then the oppos uh, opposite of that is aversion or ill will. So it's greed, desire, aversion, and ill will. You know, that you could see those are opposite to each other. And actually, the ones that are very common, and you know, we've all even said that we've been experiencing it, is sloth and torpor sleepiness. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had a lot of that. <laughs> sleepiness. And then the opposite of that is restlessness, restlessness and worry. And then the fifth one, which is an interesting one, is doubt. Does this practice really work? Am I doing this right? Um, do those teachers know what they're talking about? <laughs> Is this the path for me, or should I be doing something else? And um, what I love about the five hindrances is they definitely are important objects of our meditation, but they also tell us what some of the major, um, you know, impediments or uh, things that are arise in our life outside of the meditation hall, because when you know we can see. Uh, what strong uh, hindrances we have. We can look for those while we're meditating and also uh, maybe catch that those are arising when we're having difficulty in our day-to-day -day life. But I think for many of us, you know, this path is not just on the cushion. You know, we take these this wisdom and these practices everywhere we go. They're really very wise um, you know, helps for us in our everyday life. So uh, let's talk about the five hindrances. And first let me say that um, a few teachers have really uh, talked about rain. I'm sure many of you have heard about rain, right? We know about rain. And rain is an excellent response to the five hindrances. And let me just uh, remind you, I think Michelle McDonald was the first one to come up with it, but Tara Brock uses it a lot too. She uses it very well. And RAIN, R is just to recognize something. It's really wonderful when we're struggling 
just to say, wow, I'm struggling right now and take a little step back and put a mindfulness frame around our struggle, the part of us that is struggling. Like, what is this? You know, try to recognize what is this struggling that I'm having. And, you know, at that point you could say, oh, I have desire arising. You know, I don't want to be here. I'm, I have neutral Vedana, neutral feeling tone. And a lot of time when we're either not, um, you know, getting a lot of stimulus from being in pain or um, from, you know, desiring something, you know, desire, our fantasies actually give us pleasure, you know, they're pleasant Vedana. When we have neutral Vedana, um, you know, that's when um, a lot of uh, hindrances can, uh, well, that's when actually greed comes up, you know, greed actually, desire arises when uh, we're in neutral Vedana, we actually start um, fantasizing a lot or, you know, trying to get something to be, to pay attention to. But, you know, just when we're struggling, we can bring up our mindfulness frame and say, what is this? You know, I don't know what it is. I can't settle down. What's happening? Oh, I'm restless. Or I'm feeling greed. I, you know, I want some pleasure. I don't want this neutral Vedana. Or, you know, I have doubt about whether I'm doing this right. Or I'm just feeling so low energy. I can't concentrate. Or I'm very restless. I can't really settle down. So we put a mindfulness frame and try to recognize whether one of those five hindrances is um, present. And then once we can see what the hindrances is, RAIN tells us that we need to accept it. You know, oh, this is what's happening. This is what's arising in me right now. And, you know, when a hindrance will arise, uh, we might see it and then we'll uh, cringe because we think that we're not good meditators, right? We have a cringe like, oh, why am I having all these hindrances? But that, the cringe is the next thing to see. That's just aversion arising from recognizing the hindrance, you know, a little reaction to that. And that, you know, is a little hindrance in and of itself. We have a hindrance against our hindrance. Uh, but just being able to see that, and knowing that's the next, you know, thing to see. Uh, so we accept it. So, yeah, I'm having this. I, we cringe. Oh, I'm restless. Oh, I want a cup of tea with honey or whatever it is. And then um, that's the R. Recognize A, accept. Yeah, this is what's happening with me right now. And then we investigate. The I is investigate. We, uh, and you know, this is something I learned from Jack actually in our teacher training. I would sit on and with him and uh, when he was doing interviews and he would tell people, you can ask certain qualities to arise. You know, you can say at the beginning of a sit, may strong mindfulness arise. And uh, you know, I will say, may investigation or curiosity arise. And you know, you don't, you just say it, you know, make that intention for that to happen. And then, you know, investigation or curiosity could arise. And I love this investigation because, um, you know, there's different um, dimensions of investigation. There is uh, physically, how does this feel in the body? 
you know, is this pleasant or unpleasant? So what the physicality of the hindrances? That's one, um, you know, one way to investigate it. And then emotionally, emotionally, what does this hindrance give rise to? You know, is there an emotional story associated with it? And then energetically, is there a feeling of rushing or sinking or lifting? You know, what's the energetic hit of this, you know? I mean, you could have this about anything that's arising in your mind, but for the hindrances, you know, what's the energetic hit of this um, hindrance? And I'm sure sleepiness will be very, you know, lethargic and restlessness is something else and greed and aversion have their own, you know, energetic hits. And then uh, cognitively, what thoughts does this give rise to? You know, what beliefs are arising? What stories do we tell ourselves about? How is this related to our identities or our egoic clinging? You know, that's one thing to investigate. Um, And, you know, we, we use, investigate all of these things just by watching with our mindfulness. And, you know, the stronger or uh, the more concentration or samadhi we have, the more clearly we'll be able to see that. And the more it will be, um, you know, less personal. And that leads us to the um, fifth um, um, dimension that we can investigate. And that's uh, motivationally. What does it make us want to do? Does it make us want to leave? Does it make it want us to go forward? Um, you know, is it an urge to get away or to cling or to go take a nap <laughs> or to uh, go write a letter about how we're going to tell everyone how our retreat was, how great our retreat was and how much we learned? <laughs> Am I the only one that's doing that? <laughs> And then, uh, so reign, recognize, accept, investigate, and all these multiple dimensions. And then the fourth one, actually, I'm going to be honest, that's my favorite. (laughs) And that's the non-identification, is to realize, you know, how many other people in this room are having this exact same thing? And to realize that none of this stuff is personal. I mean, it's very personal because... You know, the causes and conditions are there for it to arise in this heart and mind and body right now. But, you know, we could take a poll and there would be millions of other people who were having this exact same experience as we are. You know, it's really, um, we don't have to identify with it. And actually, it's probably wise just to even remind ourselves you know, uh, this isn't necessarily personal. It's personal because all of these causes and conditions are giving rise to it right now, but it's not like I'm the only person and, you know, I, me, and mine is having this. It's a condition of being born a human. You know, this is... And to just give a small reflection on our common humanity... I love the reflection of the common humanity, right? This is what it means to be human. 
It's like this, yeah. So I want to talk about the five hindrances. Um, the first two are greed and aversion, and they, you know, you can think of them as opposite of each other. Um, and, you know, this is something I don't, you know, I missed the Dharma talk last night because I had to teach my last research class for the quarter, but <laughs> I don't know if you guys talked about um, about greed or just the things that arise. But anyway, so greed is, um, you know, just us wanting something pleasant. And greed is really associated a lot with Vedana, the second foundation of mindfulness, which is whether something is pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. Actually, those are really associated a lot with the hindrances. Um, you know, when we have neutral Vedana, we always want something pleasant, right? Neutral Vedana is boring. So, you know, it's like, no, I want some pleasure. You know, where is the pleasure right here? And so desire will arise or greed will arise for something pleasant. And uh, that's a very, very common and actually really central to our experience as humans. There's another very deep teaching in Buddhism uh, called dependent origination. That's like, you know, the foundation of how humans experience all the craziness of their lives. And um, Vedana, or pleasant or unpleasant, is like the third thing that happens. And, um, and we're always looking for something pleasant. And it's usually unconscious that we're doing that. It's, you know, most of the time it's very unconscious that um, we're looking for something pleasant. And, you know, we have these intentions. Every single act that we have in our life, uh, we have an intention to do it before we do it. And oftentimes the intention is, I want something pleasant. And that can take the, um, you know, on long retreats uh, when I was younger. It doesn't happen very much now because of age, which I'm very grateful for. <laughs> you know, on long retreats, you know, I'll be married and divorced by to two or three people in the room that I've never met and don't know, <laughs> you know, over the course of a month or six weeks or whatever. And that's just because the fantasy brings pleasant sensation, right? And... Um, or, you know, we'll be sitting and um, we'll be sitting and we just want something pleasant. So you'll think, oh, I need a cup of tea with a lot of honey or, you know, whatever uh, would be pleasant for you in that moment. What are some other pleasant things that we crave for on retreat? For me, it's usually sweet things and, you know, just having fantasies about people in the room. What are some other things? Spiritual insight. spiritual insight? We crave for spiritual insight? Yeah. Well, that's interesting because there is a distinction between desire and chanda. <laughs> chanda is actually wholesome desire. And do you think you can be greedy for spiritual insight? That's unwholesome? Yeah. You know that feeling? Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one to investigate, yeah. Yeah, it's like an egoic buildup, right? I want to be the one who knows. Yeah. 
Yeah. And when it's connected with the ego, like it's not that you want to know and then let go of all of the craziness of wanting. It's like you want to be the one that knows, right? And you want to be able to take that insight back where you're going and show people that your pronouns are now they, them, badass. <laughs> Excuse my language anyway. <laughs> so that's greed, lust. It can focus on the body, on body parts. Um, and, you know, we can... Uh, I think it's important to see what desires are, you know, just mildly um, inappropriate and which ones are actually very, very inappropriate and very harmful. You know, it, it's important to make that distinction. To have a cup of tea with honey, to go and have that at the beginning of a walking meditation, it's not that harmful. And I'll tell you one trick that I love to do, because I, I will often indulge myself. I'll go have a cup of tea. But I love when I indulge myself to see how long the pleasure lasts. You know, because you'll have three sips, and the fourth sip you're going, hey, where's my pleasure? You know, it's not there anymore. And it's wonderful to see just how... Um, unfulfilling all of these things that we get uh, are. And in our lives, you know, having this partner, having this house, having this job, you know, or whatever the things that we want that we think are the source of our well-being, it's important to see that we get those and then check to see how much well-being we have after a while from them. That that is, to me, also being mindful of, you know, the accumulation process. I think that's a good part of practice, too. So what can you do when greed arises? You know, uh, with greed, one thing you can do is just see how long it lasts. Uh, and if you are attracted to somebody or sexually attracted to somebody, uh, they say a good way to um, counteract that is just to look at all of their ugly parts or just to think about them. You know, saliva, urine, feces, phlegm. <laughs> you know, just to look at them and, and think about that, you know. That's one way to lessen the desire. I think that's worked for me. And then another thing to do with greed is to focus on the consequences of getting what we want. You know, that's another thing. We always see the good side of having this job or, you know, this partner or this place to live or this relationship. But, um, you know, think about what the consequences of getting that. Just the incredible commitment <laughs> and you know, time spent on maintaining that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to that. And then another thing, uh, a way to deal with um, greed or um, desire 
is to uh, focus on the impermanent nature of what we want. I guess that for, is the same as just seeing how long the pleasure or the satisfaction lasts because it is absolutely impermanent. Yeah. So that's one way to deal with greed. So the opposite of greed is aversion or, you know, pushing away. And what are some of the manifestations of aversion? Of, um, you know, not wanting to be meditating right now. I would rather be doing something else. I'm bored. And boredom, I think, is is definitely partly conditioned by neutral Vedana, by not being having it pleasant or unpleasant. But aversion definitely also arises with unpleasant Vedana. Absolutely. You know, like, this isn't any fun. I'm bored, and, you know, boredom is an unpleasant sensation. Um could be related to neutral or unpleasant Vedana. And um, ill will, you know, just uh, seeing somebody in the room and maybe um, interpreting something that they have done or said in a way that, you know, is demeaning to us or racist or sexist or homophobic or ageist or, you know, any of all of those things. And, you know, having aversion and anger arise about that. Yeah. What are some other expressions of aversion or ill will? Just not liking what, what's happening in this moment. And again, we first go to rain, you know, put our mindfulness frame around it, investigate it. But what are some things to do to uh, counterbalance aversion? Um, one thing that we can do is to actually increase our um, focus or to try to get a little bit more samadhi. Because when, you know, our mindfulness is very strong, we have samadhi or concentration, these things arise and we can see them without them being us. It's like, oh, wow, look at that aversions arising. And it doesn't feel that personal. So uh, one thing would be to go for getting a little bit more concentration. And that would be um, to uh, maybe doing some loving kindness meditation, <clears throat> doing some mantra-based meditation that actually is um, increases samadhi or concentration. You know, say, um, you know, Actually, I like to start my meditation with body scans because that's a concentration practice or with some loving kindness or other Brahma Vihara because that establishes samadhi before I open up and just watch whatever is arising and passing away. So when we're stuck in thought, aversive thoughts or aversive sensations, going back and getting some concentration is great. And, you know, you can do that through body scans, um, um, through, um, Vinny talked this morning about noting. Noting is a brilliant, important um, um, meditation practice from our Burmese tradition. Uh, Sayada Upandita and Mahasi Sayada really brought in noting as an important way to stay focused on what's happening. So just to even say what's happening, you know, in the moment, oh, aversion is arising and, you know, yeah. counting 
your breaths is good, um, you know, from one to six and then from six back down to one can actually bring some focus. Yes. And, um, and another um, good um, response to aversion or ill will is to uh, think about uh, the goodness in the person that you're having ill will about. If you know them well, there's probably good sides of them that you know too. Try to think, you know, what's good about this person right here? I mean, we don't know each other, but we all have ended up at Spirit Rock in uh, December 2021. So, you know, we all obviously have some karma together and we're all, you know, looking for a similar thing. I mean, that's a good thing. You know, I think that that's, you know, really excellent karma. So we can think about that as a way to combat aversion. And I think just to feel aversion and to, um, yeah. What would, what would happen if I took this ill will and aversion as far as I could? You know, that's incredibly bad karmic, you know, seeds for other things to arise. And we're watering, you know, these 52 mental qualities, 15 are great, 12 are not so good, and... You know, if we allow ourselves to act on these things, we're putting fertilizer and water on these mental qualities and making them stronger. Just knowing that, I think, is important. So those are the first two. And then the second two are... Opposites are sleepiness and restlessness. And sleepiness... I think we have all experienced, we heard a lot of questions uh, in the past days about sleepiness and in the groups I've heard about a lot about sleepiness as well. And I'm, I think you've all heard that you're not the only one that has it. It's a very, very common thing to have at the beginning of retreats. And I said this in my group today that my sleepiness, how long it lasts depends on how long I'm in retreat. <laughs> So if I'm in retreat for a week, I'll be sleepy for a day. If I'm in retreat for 10 days, maybe a day and a half. If I'm in retreat for a month or six weeks, I could be sleepy for a week, you know. So my sleepiness really can be determined on how much practice I have. Bless you. And then... Um, so what is some uh, ways to combat sleepiness? You know, again, for all of the hindrances, the number one thing is to recognize it, to make the hindrance the object of your mindfulness, you know, and do some inve investigation and see it. So, you know, that's a really excellent... Um, way to handle it. And then uh, for sleepiness, you know, there is sleepiness that's connected to us just working so hard in our day-to-day -day life. I mean, I bet all of us are working a lot more than we need to. We all want to be productive and do things. And we come in here and our body says, hey, let's relax. So, you know, we can do that. And then 
there is also a sloth and torpor that's due to, um, it's actually due, and this is really interesting, I've seen this, where you actually have too much calm. That You know, you have a very positive quality, you have calm, but calm is much stronger than uh, the energy or, or your investigation. So what you need to do in that regard is to balance it. Um, you know, I've had people come in on retreat like for a month and, you know, they'll be there the third or fourth week and they're going, why am I so sleepy? And I'll say, is it sleepiness or is it calm? And if it's calm, you know, what you want to do is to um, just ask energy to arise. You know, may energy arise a little bit stronger to balance the calm because you want to balance the calming factors with the arising factors, right? That's the seven factors of awakening. But, you know, you can ask that to arise. So when you're feeling uh, sleepy, you know, you might want to investigate whether it's just a lot of calmness. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, sleepiness. And then, you know, a lot of us... uh, I think, who've done a lot of retreats, will never take a Dharma job right after lunch so we can take a nap, right? <laughs> so you want to take a, you know, a yogi job in the morning or in the evening, but not after lunch because you want to eat and then go take a nap for an hour. And then you can get up and start uh, practicing for the afternoon. That's a good thing to do. And so, you know, sleeping is not, you know, it's not a bad thing. Um, Yeah, so that's the sloth and torpor. And I think it is important to make a distinction between whether this is sleepiness or calm, yes. And then the opposite of sleepiness or sloth or torpor is restlessness and worry. And um, restlessness is just, you know, not being able to really focus on one thing, you know, one particular object of, you know, maybe doing a body scan and having our mind wander or, um, you know, focusing, you know, anchoring in the breath and having our mind wander, not being able to stay on it, you know, doing a lot of thinking, and actually worrying, you know, the term of the hindrance is restlessness and worry. We're worrying about, you know, whether we're doing this right or we just can't settle down. And um, I think we've all, I think that there's certain few ways that that manifests, you know, wanting to do something else. And I do think that that can be associated also with uh, neutral Vedana, You know, we might want to check in on our um, uh, feeling tone. You know, is this pleasant? Is this unpleasant? Or is this neutral? And I'm just restlessness and bored, you know, so we want to do something else. We want something a little bit more stimulating. And the restlessness could be that. And um, the uh, response to restlessness, the remedies for restlessness are... Um, or to actually uh, very similarly with um, the others 
is to uh, try to get some more samadhi, which would be to, um, you know, do body scans. I guess you can wander, mind wander when you're doing body scans. Actually, you know what works for me is to look more closely at what's happening. You know, a lot of times I'll be breathing and I'll be just, you know, very vaguely aware of the breath. But when you look more closely at the breath, you know, every single breath is different. You know, and we think they're all the same, but they're different lengths and, you know, they have different little motions in them. Um, I like to look more closely and do more investigation, which really um, helps the restlessness and uh, worry. And then the worry, you know, I love worry as a, um, as a meditation object, you know, to look at that with mindfulness and see, you know, what we're worried about, about, you know, whether um, this is really going to take us to the place that, you know, we're really unconsciously thinking that we're going to go with our meditation practice. I think as you were alluding to, right, yeah, becoming, you know, the best meditation teacher in our sangha or having everybody want to come practice with us or things like that. Or, um, you know, actually worry can also be um, our own internalized um, self-doubt, right? Like, I can't do this and this isn't for me. And, um, you know, being able to see that is really excellent too. You know, I have this T-shirt I was going to wear tonight and it says, decolonize yourself, (laughs) And that's what this practice is really doing. All of the greed, hatred, and delusion that's in the system that we live in. And it's not just the American system. It's all systems, you know, are driven by so much greed, hatred, and delusion. And we have internalized all of that. I mean, that determines who we think we are unconsciously, who we think other people are unconsciously. And, uh, you know, that's one of the most important things for us to see. And, you know, all we need to do is see that. We see that with a lot of clarity. You know, mindfulness collects that data. And then, you know, through our other knowledge system, intuitive awareness, um, you know, an insight will arise that will show us how much we are um, unconsciously uh, seeing that and believing that, and that's what releases us. It really does. You know, the insight is really what does all the work, does the best work of freeing us. You know, I mean, I grew up, you know, a person of color in a predominantly white area, and oh my gosh, I think back of all of the, you know, racism and sexism that I've experienced, and I can honestly tell you, I don't feel a lot of animosity towards towards any of that. And some of the crazy people that we've had in our government lately too, <laughs> you know, I honestly don't feel a lot of animosity. I feel more uh, actually compassion and like, you know, I know that they're relatives and I wish their well-being too because all of the things that they're doing that's hurting themselves and others nobody gets away with anything. You know, they're not getting away with that. So anyway, that is restlessness and worry. And actually, I feel like I got into doubt a bit there too, because the doubt is um, indecision about the practice or whether we can do it effectively. 
maybe a lack of inspiration to apply ourselves to meditate. Does this really work? Can I actually do it? And doubt, yeah. Doubt's interesting. That's one of the very first things that we let go of when we get uh, some progress on the path. That's interesting. It's, you know, once we have some glimpse of insight and we see just how powerful insight is, a doubt is one of the things, a doubt of the practice is one of the first things that, that is actually released. So that's really excellent. So those are the five hindrances. And, you know, we're an excellent company. We all experience those. And guess who else experienced those? The Buddha. <laughs> This is what he saw in his mind, right? So we're an excellent company that the guy who was able to um, have insight to let go of all of this, you know, this is what he saw too. And this is not personal. It's a very common humanity experience. And um, it's great when you're on the cushion or just doing walking meditation or just in life. If we're struggling, you know, we can take a step, a step back and, you know, do a hindrance check, do a hindrance checklist. Is this sleepiness or apathy or sluggishness? Is this restlessness and worry? Is this aversion? Do I hate what's happening right now and want it to be different? Is this greed? You know, is there something I really want that I think is going to make me happy here? Or do I just, you know, have doubt about all of it? And it's interesting. Many of you might have heard that um, uh, greed, aversion, and delusion are also Buddhist personality types. And all of us are one of these types. And, you know, you might be able to investigate that while you're in practice, too. Is it mostly greed that's arising? You know, do you walk into a room and say, ooh, I want that, you know? Or do you walk into a room and say, oh, I don't like that, and I don't like that? Or do you walk into a room and say, where am I? <laughs> am I in a room? <laughs> so that's an interesting thing to um, investigate as part of the hindrances as well. I personally am a deluded type with a greedy wing. <laughs> I often don't know what's happening, but when I have, you know, greed can arise sometime. So we can all uh, think about, you know, that's one, another way to know ourselves or our ego our egos is to see which of those is most predominant for us so those are the five hindrances and let me just say a few words about the seven factors of awakening because those are also part of the fourth foundation and people who've been practicing a while you know those actually come up pretty regularly and for new people i'm sure that they come up and let me just say what those are Mindfulness is the mindfulness is in there, and mindfulness is what balances them. There's three arising factors and three calming factors. The three arising factors are um, 
um, investigation. It's like we're interested in something. It's like, you know, we'll be meditating and something will arise that we're really interested in. Like, wow, what is that? And what happens when we're interested in something? Energy, you know, energy arises by itself for us to investigate it, right? So it's interest, investigation prompts energy to arise. And it's interesting when we have that uh, energy and investigation, joy arises, some happiness or like some contentment, like, wow, this is interesting. And, you know, you can uh, sense that some joy arises. And um, joy gives rise to the first of the calming factors, which is calm or tranquility. And, you know, you can have very strong uh, tranquility in your meditation. And if you're not balancing it, you could think that it's sloth or torpor, but it might not be. It might be calm and tranquility. Um, common tranquility leads to samadhi or concentration to arise. Uh, so that's the second arousing factor. And then the third arousing factor is, you know, one of the highest spiritual qualities in every single spiritual tradition, and that is equanimity. So, um, you know, you can look for those in your practice, you know, you can say, may calm arise, may interest in investigation arise, may energy arise, may equanimity arise. You know, you let go once you say that, but you can set that intention. Does that make sense? And you can check to see that, you know, those enlightenment factors are balanced. Because they say if those are present, they're all present, but they're present at different strengths. And you can balance them. Yeah. And equanimity, I love equanimity. That's when, you know, the craziest things are happening internally or externally and you care deeply about it and you wish yourself and others well, but you're absolutely okay with what's happening. Knowing that, you know, our well-being can't be, uh, it can't be determined by what's happening externally. You know, our well-being has to come from here. So let me see if there's anything else I want to share. You know, this is part of the four foundations of mindfulness. It's very central to the practice. Uh, and, you know, everything that arises is an object of our mindfulness. If we're struggling and we don't want to do it, make not wanting to do it the object of your attention. You know, what does that feel like? What does that make me want to do? What thoughts are arising? Yeah. It's all up for investigation and knowing. I guess that's all I wanted to say about that. So how about if we take a little stretch break and then we'll come back and do some meditation. So should they get up and go or what do you think? If you need to get up, please, if you need to stretch... If you need to make a quick run to the facilities or whatever. And uh, maybe we should come back in five minutes. Does that work? Okay.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.